This is West Underground, Sydney's number one podcast. So like and subscribe. And uh, today we have none other than Flicker Tail on. We have the whole band on at the moment. <laughs> and how are you, man? The one man band. That's right. Yeah, I used to be the best twenty-five percent. Now I'm the best hundred <laughs> percent. Well, man, that's good, man. Like you know, you you are your own boss now, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and man, in very many ways, man. Like, I mean, in fairness, yeah. Probably, fuck, I gotta go check the window because fucking one of the boys is gonna watch this and be like, "You bastard!" But uh, in in fairness, I functionally was the boss as it was um because like the like the way i like to view bands is that you're all you're all on the same team but someone's got to be captain yeah yeah Can um I? and with this with this band obviously i wrote yeah pretty much all the songs like a lot of the songs have got co-writes on them because the boys did contribute but the general thrust of it was mine um so yeah you know when when things sort of came to their natural conclusion uh we kind of sat on we had we had a bunch of stuff recorded and ready to go for a couple of years and i was actually talking to my brother who's a couple of years younger than me and he's uh not in music at all he's like he's very into rap yeah so he like writes about that but he's not like a musician i saw my brother about it and i was like oh, i don't know what to do i don't know what to do and he was like wasn't this pretty much a solo thing for you anyway yeah and i was like well not exactly but you know you take the compliments where you can get them well can i give you a compliment but just before we we start hitting you with questions um so i did i never got to see see you guys because i kind of found out about you through uh a friend of mine who works over at belfield shout out to tommy um you, you won he won your competition like for for the shirts that you were giving away and i was like yeah, that's a fucking yes, nice shirt and then i went down the like i had a look at your page and stuff and i was like these guys look sick and then i listened to your i listened to your music man and it's been on my spotify annual annual playlist three years in a row damn that's a long time yeah it's been a while <laughs> a while between releases yeah, man, because you were the only band that like was that, you know, I, I, my favorite band is the Beatles, right? And probably second to that is Oasis. And you sound like if Noel Gallagher wrote songs for Thin Lizzy, that's, that's what I feel like when I listen to you guys. Yeah, which, that's... which Liam, you should put on your gravestone. If you don't, if you, if you want anything, <laughs> that should be on your fucking gravestone. Yeah. If somebody said that about me, it'd be on my gravestone. <laughs> I'll, I'll fucking inscribe it right now. I've got to engrave it down yeah. the road. It'd um, be like a pre-obituary. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, look, uh, that's a huge compliment because for me, that was like, uh, as a songwriter, you give yourself briefs, right? To be like, you, you kind of, because you just start off like writing, like to be honest with you, you start off writing songs that are shit ass. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, we're going no, you, on no, YouTube. no, no fucking way can you swear on this? Podcast. Uh, I swear. <laughs> uh, no, you're allowed, Liam. You're allowed. You're allowed one f bomb, one f bomb a show. Okay, I've got to save it up. It's like it's like like an MA15 rating. You're allowed one. I've got to save it up. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so like you start off writing songs and they suck. Um, and they're like about your life when you're 15, which is not interesting because you're 15. And um, over time, you kind of like 
put things together from the various things that you actually, you know, you're maybe unconsciously influenced by, which for me was like, like classic hard rock and metal for a long time. And then when I was about like 17 or 16, I was around my mate's place and we were just like, fuck, it's like typical like adolescent party nonsense. But don't look back and anger came on. And I stopped mid-conversation. I just went over to the speaker and just sat there listening to it. I was like, this is good. I'm going to base my entire personality around liking this band for the next five to six years. And, and I did. But the, the, the thing that before we were good, when we were just still like working out the kinks of like just playing songs and I was writing songs very prolifically at the time. Um, something that I tried very actively to repress was the like the consistent bubbling up of like Irishness in the songs that I was writing. It's like, why are all these songs in A minor? <laughs> why, why, why are there all these like, like lengthy guitar figures? Yeah. And um, we played a show. We did the, I don't know if you guys were around for this period, but the Lockhart's, three quarters of whom are now fangs. Um, the Lockhart's did an annual New Year's Eve gig. would be like a massive gaff party. And so we played that one year. And Matthew Black from The Bottlers, who are a great band from Sydney, was there. They're like a, like a folk punk yeah, yeah. band. He and I were having a beer together. And um, he was like, you're fucking Irish, aren't you, mate? That was my one. And, and he goes, You've used up so early. You've used that up so early. That's all right, mate. I like to. I like the, to finish it. The, temp, the, uh, the temptation's going to be with you now for the rest of it. Don't, don't bore us. Get to the chorus. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he's like, You're Irish, aren't you? And I was like, Yeah, you know, the old man. Um, he's like an Irish scouser and like my grandparents are from Ireland. So like, I grew up hearing all this type of music and i've been trying to like keep it out of my music because it's like it's very deep in my unconscious and he was like don't fight it it's mad people like it like there's a reason that these songs endure over hundreds of years just stick to it and see what happens like it's like what happens mm. if you write a song and yeah. you're not trying to not be a patty about it and i was like oh, okay i'll try it all right and i did and once i kind of like let go of that thing where like my old man was really into thin lizzy so like he like burned me a cd copy of live and dangerous when i was a kid and i started getting into guitar music and stuff and like once i started like really leaning into it and being like letting myself be okay with uh that being a part of my musical influence then i was like oh the band that i want to be in the songs that i want to write are songs that sound like a mix of thin lizzy and oasis that was like the specific thought that i had in my head <laughs> I can't remember what year that would have been, like 2014, <laughs> like this genuinely, it's crazy to hear you say that because that was, well, it's not crazy, it's derivative of the original thought, it's just a, it's just a compliment, but like that hey, was the, hey, that was the shaman. yeah, that, that, that was genuinely the brief that I gave myself at the time when I like let go of that thing and just like allowed myself to lean into it a little more heavily was to do it. And then it just happened. And then I think my songs go through i've i've written a lot of very bad songs over the years none of them made the light of day but yeah. i've written a lot of very bad songs over the years but all the good ones happened after two pivotal moments the first one being the like that moment when i heard don't look back in anger 
And the second one was that conversation with Matt Black out of the bottlers where he was just like, let go of it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's amazing, man. Maybe you might uh, write another one tonight. <laughs> you never know, man. Yeah, maybe, maybe I will. I'll be like, just the third moment. <laughs> <laughs> man, I, I have to say, like, I... So, so I'm. I've only been in Australia a couple of years, and I went through a process like you did when a band breaks up, and I kind of got a bit dirty on music for a while. You know, mm. I've just dropped my f bomb. Sorry, hey, missed that too. And I was, you know, I was. It was a little bit. I was so done with it. So when I moved here, it it took me a while again to start to listen to new things and actually enjoy new things. So I I, I like to call this compliment corner, and Hamish gave you that compliment before. But when I heard, when I was listening to your music straight away, I was like, one, this, whoever this songwriter is, is such a talented songwriter because it's all there. And the other thing I thought was, they must be English. They must, they, they, there's the, there's the pommy thing about it. Yeah. No, no, but like, it's, it's not, you know what I mean? It's, that that music and you, you can hear it. It's so it's it's very soulful, and that comes from hard, terrible times living under grey skies. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's true. It, yeah. it, it's not it's not what I hear while I've been in Australia. That's not the music I hear. Yeah, dude. That's a I mean, you make you make a good point, and I actually have talked about this quite a few people before. Um, because I have a theory that the best music is written by people who endure bad weather. Because I've said this, I've said this before myself. Huh? <laughs> so I, I, I actually have I've, I've talked about this quite a bit before. Where if you think about it, major musical movements do not come from places where the weather is nice, and when they do, it's a huge deal. Yeah. But generally speaking, you think about the turn, the cultural turning points musically. The Beatles, Oasis, the grunge thing. Those are all from fucking rainy places, man. Heavy metal, Birmingham, like it's all from rainy places. Uh, like the the Krautrock thing that kind of precipitated the entire development of like synthy kind of EDM music. The weather in Germany is not good. Uh, and my theory is that unless like me, you're a big nerd, if the weather's nice, you spend time outside. And if you're outside, you're not practicing. Whereas if the weather sucks, what else have you got to do but like hang out in your room and play guitar and listen to records? Liam, and- can I? I just want to. I just want to cut say something for just for one second. I think the reason your music's good is because you suffer from the same the same white kind of pasty skin that I suffer from. Where if you go out of your house for five minutes in summer, you just you 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 look like a lobster. Like we, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, like yeah, dude, this isn't even, this isn't a t shirt. This is just what my skin looks like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I don't think we. I don't think it's all good weather over here, man. It's so hot in summer. Like you know, I, I'm surprised we don't get more good songs written in the air conditioning you know <laughs> uh, dude i i agree personally the but i think that also while we're at it if you look yeah. at the history of australian music uh a lot of the great australian songwriters and the great australian rock bands are not uh particularly australian yeah, yeah. You know, acdc are all scots uh doc neeson from the angels is from the north of ireland uh, Jimmy Barnes is Scottish too. Scottish, like any, yeah. I mean, Cold Chisel are barely an Australian band. Like fucking, 
probably get crucified for saying this, but if you look at that band, Barnes yeah. is from Glasgow, Steve Presswich is a scouser. Like, how many Aussies are actually were there? Ian Moss is Australian, technically. But, like, I think that there's there's probably, like, a very long conversation to be had about how down here we have a bit of um, cultural Stockholm syndrome when it comes to the UK. Yeah. We tend not to value our artists at all until someone from like one of the like real countries like the US or the UK tells us they're valuable. But I don't know. I think that if you look at like with, with notable exceptions, like say Van Halen. Yeah. Generally speaking, great music doesn't come from places where quality of life is extremely high. Which I don't get because I like great music and my life fucking rules. So go figure. It'd have to with a mustache like that, my friend. It would have to. <laughs> That's right. I've been I've been trying to go for like an Ian Rush thing. Yeah, it is exactly like Ian Rush. <laughs> and that and that was the great thing about Liverpool in the eighties. You know, Kenny would get the ball and I'd just be there and then I'd score. Every Ian Rush interview he's ever done is like that. It's interesting you say that though about about the weather and you know I, I think like so it, it, in the band I play in my like my bandmates often say to me you do quite like a depressing song don't you and I'm like yeah because I just can't write a happy song and I think I think it's when you come from somewhere with not a lot of opportunities and as you say the weather is bleak. There's just not nothing to be happy. That's why I couldn't believe. I mean, I, I can now knowing you know, you know, Scouse Paddy. I can, I can, I can, I can understand it now. But first, I was like, it's, I just weren't expecting it at all, which must be a good thing for you in Australia, because you're doing that. You're doing what a lot of Aussies go elsewhere for, and you yeah. can do that here. You know. Yeah, it's not. It's it's been quite good, and you know. One of the things that I think was a great strength for us was me and Matt and Johnny. So that's uh, uh, me, obviously, like I sing and I play guitar and write the songs. Matt played bass. Johnny was the other guitar player. Uh, all of us have pretty much the same trajectory, like a family tree-wise. Uh, Irish grandparents moved to the north of England. So Johnny's a filthy Mancunian, Matt's from Derby. Mm. Both of them were actually born in England. And so I think that we, I, I didn't know them as kids when we were kids, but we had very similar upbringings. So like when, as we got to know each other through being in a band together, like just stupid jokes about like, like having like an uncomfortably scratchy communion shirt or like, yeah, so you get it. <laughs> Just like, like stupid shit from like growing up very similarly, but not knowing each other at all. We grew up in very different parts of Sydney. Um, obviously, I wasn't born in England, uh, but those two guys were. We had very similar upbringings. And I think that when we all got together, we didn't have that much musical taste in common. We all liked rock, but there weren't that many bands that we all liked. Um, but the, B, the big ones were... Thin Lizzie, because me and Matt were like obsessed. And Johnny from Manchester, ironically, was not, he'll tell you otherwise if you fucking interview him, but uh, he was not an Oasis guy. 
when he joined the band. But because he was from Manchester, I kind of like like did Noel Gallagher impressions at him pretty consistently. And just like was all me and Matt were always putting Oasis on in the car. And he like he was like, Oh, this is actually pretty cool. Oh, I'm from a cool city. This is pretty great. Being from Manchester is way better than being from like Taramara or wherever, you know. Um, and he got heaps into him. And ironically, I think because he's a city guy, he was really into the Beatles. And I was like mm. never a huge Beatles guy. But like my old man's from Liverpool and I was super into Oasis. And I always thought that was like a, a really fun synchronicity. Is that yeah. correct? Idiosyncrasy is what I meant. Idiosyncrasy. Yeah. Was your old man yeah. a Beatles fan? Is your old man a Beatles fan? Yeah, the old fellow likes the best. I mean, I, I like the Beatles. You know what I mean? Like, who doesn't? Yeah. Um, and as I get older and my... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Not yet, mate. It's all oh, there. Many years, many years from now. Um, <laughs> not with my genetics pal the Irish don't age well the, <laughs> but the um, yeah look as I get older and like my love of music and like my obsession with writing good songs continues to endure I think I appreciate the Beatles more but I think they also like I think that it's better to go into that band and like try and learn from them than to try and go in with an air of reverence. Because one of the things that I really disliked about rock when I started playing in bands and still dislike was how people started becoming reverent, start talking about halls of fame and legends and immortals. And like, it was like Rolling Stone top 100 lists and I don't know about you, but I personally don't think that like people are special. Like you're not like an innately special person just because you wrote like Stairway to Heaven. I just you're like you're, you're a talented guy after. and you deserve to be praised for that. But I don't think that you should be put like on a pedestal or like you should be treated as if you're magic because the end result of that is that like you either think that as you're, if you're a songwriter, right, you look at the people who write great songs and you're like, oh, you're magic. There's something special about you. You're untouchable. You're unattainable. You exist on a different plane of existence to the rest of us. If you think like that and you're a musician, you arrive at one of two conclusions. Conclusion number one, which is unacceptable, is that you are also magic and therefore entitled to success, which is a great way to make yourself and everyone around you miserable. Or conclusion number two, members especially your band members. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, if you, if you interview Matt and Johnny, I'm sure they'll be like, Liam thinks he's fucking magic, boys. He's a fucking pestero. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, the, the second conclusion, which is also really sad, is that like music is reserved for magic people and you're not one of them. That's the truth. Like, that's, 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 that's very true, man. I, 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 I went through a stage where I could not listen to Beatles because I couldn't write. I just could not write. Mm. because how I can't better that I can't do better than that and being from Liverpool to be a songwriter and being a band you've always got that thing oh and pe- oh, he's, he's going to be the next Beatles then and you're like the, the stress it gives you it gives you an anxiety you don't need so I, I think I think you're absolutely right on that point because the higher you put those people it, the tougher it is for you to think you could be like that you know 
And then yeah. maybe maybe there's an element of you not trying or not trying hard enough because you think, well, I couldn't do that. Yeah, and like I definitely. That's interesting, man. That that's a very interesting point. I definitely put myself through the ringer. Like I am much harsher on myself than mm. anyone is to me. So like when I write songs, um, when when the four of us were still jamming together, like I would. I wouldn't just come in with every song I ever wrote. Like I wouldn't come in like every Wednesday and be like, here are four ideas that I had. I would religiously, meticulously, actually, if I give it this a little, you can see my fucking obsessive stack of notebooks where I write lyrics. Um, I obsessively like draft and redraft songs over and over uh, because I sit around, like, oh, like I'll play with an idea and be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like that's all right. That's pretty cool. And try and work out ways to, to write it and make it good, right? So I think that the ratio of songs that I wrote to songs that actually showed up at rehearsal was probably three to one, maybe five to one, right? And then of those songs, the ones that made it to being played live was probably, again, one in two or one in three. And then I think... 80% of them survived because like if you are a songwriter I think you have to be your own worst critic first of all mm. so that when people write you a bad review you're not upset because you've already said worst shit about yourself but second of all it's because that's like you're the only filter you really have like you can be in a cool band like mine where we all talk shit to each other and I'll be like this song sucks don't play it which all, which happened a few times not that often because all my songs are great but like a few times <laughs> And, you know, I was always really unimpressed when bands that I thought were really cool, it was obvious they were phoning it in, right? Like you, like you think you're into a band and they do like a really great first album and then like their second album is kind of like obviously not inspired. That's the problem though, isn't it? Second album syndrome is because yeah. you go, you go your life and you, you amount these songs and then you go, right, these are the fucking 10, 11, whatever songs. These are my, these are the best songs. These are This is the record. And then you put that out. And then your label's like, come on, let's get the next one. And then mm. you'll probably have three or four that never made the cut on the first one. So you go, oh, okay, well, they're on. Because they just missed out. And then you might not have another single in you, you know. And the other thing as well, mm. me and Hamish have had this conversation before. Like, success kills bands sometimes, man. There's there's yeah. no there's no secret you know there's a certain band I'm thinking from from America who you know first few albums are great and they grew up you know in the sticks all playing together great rock and roll and now they're married to Victoria's Secret model and worth billions and that, and the music has not been that good since yeah like that's not it's not it's not a coincidence yeah I mean you think about the like a lot of great records. Uh, in the bracket of the first three albums of an era of a band, mm. right? Yeah. Like, so, like I think Rumors is like Fleetwood Mac's like fifth album overall, but their their lives sucked internally, despite the fact that they were all like rich rock stars. You know what I mean? They were just making yeah. each other miserable. Which goes back to what you were saying before about like misery being. Uh, if not the mother, then at least a contributing parent in the like IVF swirl of inspiration. But I, 
I think that if you look at a lot of the, the trajectory of bands, there are a lot of bands who have a promising first record and an okay second record. And you can actually see that pretty consistently across the board in a lot of disciplines. I really subscribe to the idea that skills, like the process of getting good at anything is transferable. So like, have you ever noticed how like people who are really great guitar players are also, I don't know, they like might be like pretty good athletes or they're like funny. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like people who are good at one thing tend to be good at a bunch of other things. Yeah. Well, that's 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 that thing that you're talking about where you where you just you 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 everything you do you do it meticulously where you you want to be good at. You know what I mean? Like you and mm. you become obsessed with something. You know, Jack and I were having the conversation the other day. He asked me why music, and I think because you can't. You know, you were you just you were fully sucked into it you know it became you and you couldn't even help it because all your interests aligned with it and you wanted to read about it listen to it study it you know you didn't want to fucking do anything else you know mm. and i think you know if you have that kind of mindset anything you do becomes obsessive do you know what i mean yeah absolutely and that that is kind of how i i still think yeah you know what i mean like i i don't have a regular job like I don't, I don't, I don't go to work for anybody else right now. Yeah. Um, I play guitar in like various configurations. I, I play guitar for a cool Patty Punk band called Medusa's Wake. I play weddings. I do pub covers. I played a really cool mm. gig just before Christmas for a bunch of Celtic supporters. Um, I do. I, sorry, what was that? So There's a few people yeah. that, on the hoops. No, the few people in Scotland who just went, hey, the man. Yeah, they were fucking great. But I don't really like, sorry, there are many things that I love and many things that I enjoy, but I don't really have like a fire under me for that many things as much as I do about music. Are you, are you competitive with music? No, I'm not no. really a competitive person at all. I like, like, I'm not competitive in the sense that I watch other people and go, I'm going to beat you. I am competitive with myself in that mm. I always want to be doing better. Like when I found out that George Carlin used to write a new stand-up set every year, I was like, oh, cool. So that means that when I'm writing songs, if something wasn't good enough a year ago, it's not good enough now. I'm just going to keep writing songs until I write something better. Right? That's are they in in my head. That was how you avoid sophomore slump. Um, you avoid like rehashing old material. Um, now, keen-eyed viewers will notice that I have recycled precisely two songs slash parts in my life. Um, so anyone who was around when we were still called the Bitter Sweethearts will recognize our minor hit single Talk as belonging to an EP that came out in 2014 or 15 called In Harmony. Um, when it resolutely failed to land on any radio station. <laughs> um, but because it was a mad song. It is a mad song, man. Like you. that's yeah. a fucking great song. That's yeah, look, 
Uh, can I just say, I uh, this is completely off topic, but I'd love to, I'd be interested one day coming over and just hanging out and listening to your like, um, like pro tool, uh, like all logic sessions that you've got on your computer and just being like, you know, just being like, man, well, you know, that, that, that one or that one, you know, and just having a, having a listen with you, dude, because like, I reckon you've got some great shit that you, that you've just, you know, mentally blocked yourself from putting out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, especially if he's saying, you know, the amount of songs he wrote that never even got to be played live. There'll be, there'll be songs in there that people would love. You just, you yourself don't think they're good enough, you know? I guarantee you they were. Give yourself a break. (laughs) <laughs> Give yourself a break, man. Dude, let us come over one evening and and fucking because yeah. you might not love it, love it, but 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 I'll say you know like that'll hit a nerve with you know me or you know if somebody else and just say do you you know what I mean like play it to do you do you have a missus like do did she does she yeah. doesn't do yeah do you see if it makes her like you know start tapping a foot and you know and you know she you know oh you know but you know Actually, you know what I'm trying to say funny here, story yeah. about that. Um, my, my ex-girlfriend, Yeah, I played her the demo for talk when I wrote it, which was a really, which was like 2014, 15, I think. And she was like, the song sucks. Song oh. sucks. It sounds yeah, like I'd Oasis. Have, I'd, I'd have left that woman too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, oh. I, I like I played it the demo and I was like, no, it's cool. It's got like this. I don't know if you can hear that through the speaker, yeah. but um, it's got the it's got the cool like ABBA thing at the beginning, like the augmented the augmented C chord. So I'll play it here just very quickly, like this. Was like a cool augmented C thing, so the melody is a bit funky. And my favorite part is the the riff, like the. Um, and how the notes that land on the one beat all line up harmonically with the chords from the chorus. Yeah. Right. So the first one is an A, which sits like with an F. You know, like it's. It was, at the time, it was the most sophisticated thing I've ever written, and I was very proud of it. And she was like, "That song sucks. It just sounds like Oasis, and no one cares about Oasis as much as you do." Well, I bought Whoa. tickets for Liam this morning, man. So I'll challenge you with that. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was wrong. Um, that song ended up doing like all right, uh, just not here. Did better overseas, um, which is kind of predictable for this type of music. Like, there's not as much of a an appetite in Australia for like the first of all for like music that might be considered considered derivative of like oasis as a prime example but that sort of era of of british have music you played have you have you have you played overseas have you played in the uk yeah we went and did a tour of the uk in 2018 really yeah did you did you play liverpool we didn't play liverpool uh yeah. i really it's wanted smart, to it, it's a smart decision <laughs> Dude, I, I saw a band in Liverpool that was mad called Revival Black. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. Yeah, I thought they were a fucking great live band. And their singer, mm. yeah, their singer's about like four feet tall. Or He's not literally four feet tall. He's a very little guy. Um, and as you can see from this very high quality picture, I'm an enormous human being. So I 
I was like, I noticed when people are tiny, but he's a great singer, man. He's like, it's like that. Dude, I actually think this is a thing, right? Sometimes Was he a falsetto? No, dude. It's like the full Paul Rogers, like soul voice thing. It was crazy. Oh, okay. I think sometimes short dudes, like little petite guys have the maddest voices. I don't know what it is. Because typically you'll be like, oh, you like be a big guy like Pavarotti and you have a mad voice. Like you got like diaphragm support and whatever. But sometimes it's like the littlest guys have the maddest voices. Like Axel Rose is like crazy short. Bon Scott was super short. Yeah. Um, I fucking saw... Michael Noel Hutchins Gallagher. was short, wasn't he? Sorry? Michael Hutchins in excess. He, he was short, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, he was I a don't... little guy. Yeah. Well, everyone's uh, going to be both. shorter than us, Jack. And yeah. and Liam, I'm, like I'm, we're all we're all pretty tall. You're pretty yeah. tall, Jack. Come on. Am I? Well, I, I thought you were pretty tall, man. I'm 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 what six three, six four. Well, Cuban heels, heels baby. Cuban, <laughs> Cuban heels. Got to add the inches when I can get them, where I can get them. Yeah, yeah I'm not I'm not I'm a tall, I'm not a tall man. How tall are you mean? Uh six two. Yeah, I'm a, I'm 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 the short ass from that band you seen in Liverpool. That was probably me. Mate, you're probably tall for Liverpool though, in fairness. It's not fucking like English people are little, man. I was I'm walking walking around Lime Street station like Godzilla, just fucking head and shoulders. <laughs> it's because of all the anger we carry. It is, dude. Same, it's the same thing as Scottish people. Way, ways us down, man. Ways us down. <laughs> Hey Jack. Yeah, that and the that and the fucking malnutrition. Um, although, where did I go in Liverpool? Was, I had a mad feed at the lobster pot. Oh, oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. That's a that's that's a that's a landmark chip shop, Hamish. Yeah. Where you can see a drunk person inside and outside laying on the floor at any time of the day. <laughs> yeah. Morning, noon, all night. It's it's fantastic. You know the lobster pot. So Liam, what's what's the plans then? What what what's what's the incarnation of the band looking like? What 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 what's the future gonna hold? Uh, look for the minute. It's online releases for now. Um, so basically, the story is the tunes that we're putting out, including the single we just put out. Uh, evidence of Ev- life. Ev- evidence of life. Very, very good song. Yeah. Thanks, man. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, a a positive song from me for a change as well, rather than like an angry song or a sad song. Um, but yeah, evidence of life or boys are back in town too, as I used to call it. Um, it comes from a session that we did in 2019 where I had the bright idea of doing a live record. So for a long time, people would like come to the show and like see us play live. And I've got some good footage that I'm gonna put out over the next couple of months. They'll come see us play live and be like, ah, you know, the live show is great, but the record doesn't really like catch up. Happens, happens so often. Yeah. Happens so often, man. And like the, the big boy answer would have been, that's correct. I don't have six like figures worth of money to spend on a recording that would adequately do this. Yeah. Um, you know, like, uh, like famously, it took Oasis 
how long and how like they almost bankrupted creation records trying to capture the power of their live show for definitely maybe um and because when we were recording hurry up and wait because people had said that to us for years i hit up owen morris who produced the first two first three oasis records to be like hey we're doing our first album and we want you and we got within this fucking close to getting him but our recording window was when he was on holiday in Costa Rica. Man. But uh, I wasn't complaining too much because we wound up with Tony Wall, who did Kiss Alive 4 and Paul Stanley's like one live Kiss record, which as you can see, rock hand. As you can see from the poster behind me, (laughs) uh, I'm a big Kiss fan. So that worked out really well. But um, because we'd heard that for a long time, I had the idea in my head where I was like, we should do something like that. Because the Hurry Up and Wait was, um, wasn't as ferocious yeah. as I envisaged the band as being and as we came across on stage, which is necessarily a bad thing. It just, you know, I was quite accustomed to hearing like a jet engine turn on behind me. It's like someone throwing a fucking crate of Guinness through a jet engine. Yeah, and that record just doesn't sound like that. It sounded it, like it did. It did quite well, like overseas. Like the radio play was cool, and like it got us the attention we needed to get. But what I really wanted to do was get something that's like a bit ferocious, a bit hairy, a bit gnarlier. And so we did those two singles, uh, right behind the eyes and contact sport with Damien Gerard, or at Damien yeah. Gerard Studios, um, and that was kind of closer to the the level of aggression that i wanted from the recorded product because like hey, like you guys you guys didn't see us play live but our show was like very intense we we're like notoriously yeah hard to follow um so it got to a point where i just started booking our own gigs because bands didn't want us as an opening band anymore because we'd be like fucking running around on stage and i'd be like kicking shit over and fucking like pouring beer on my head i used to have this move that i had to stop doing where to accentuate a particular stab in the set i would like skull most of a beer and then like a particular moment like i'll go and just spray it all over matt and it looked mad like with the lights and everything but it would be like triple h fan triple h fan by any chance no i'm i know who that is because of motorhead but i'm not a wrestling guy yeah oh god Okay. Oh, he used to do that. He used to, he used to come out, and drink water, and then spit it all over the crowd, which I yeah, don't think would like be that. COVID COVID friendly anymore. Dude, no way. But it's was, it was like stuff like that because I'd seen like Airborne and like bands mm. like Kiss when I was younger, and I was like, I want to do like a big, like fucking mad stage show, and we didn't have fire or or like fireworks or you know any of the things that like big bands have. So I was always like trying to like fucking g people up. And what I worked out was that if you make like an idiot of yourself, especially when you do these sort of gigs, we would go out and play in the country, um, playing like orange, like 20 people. You've really got to win them over because you're playing at like one of two or three pubs in the town. So yeah. like if you're shitty on like a Saturday night and you book the show and you're the headliner, you've ruined their weekend because yeah, yeah. they can't go somewhere else. So we, we got really good and like, again, like a really intense, like high energy live show. Yeah. Because of that, and if you watch live videos of us, um, particularly when I had hair like down to here, it was like very, there was a lot going on. 
So what I wanted to do was capture that. And I had the idea to do a live record, but I didn't want to do like the pub band thing of like just recording a show. Yeah. It's like, that's not, that's not the same thing. And like, you know, you get old and you learn that like live and dangerous has overdubs and like kiss alive has overdubs. So it's not the same thing. And also I think that unless you're playing like Nebworth or Wembley stadium, a live record is like kind of bullshit. Yeah. Um, Unless you're Thin Lizzy and then you can do whatever you want. But the idea we had was initially to do a video EP. We were like, people don't really buy records anymore. We want to get the point across and maybe that requires like some visual stimulation. So we got our mate, Michael Chow, to video us recording like what is functionally a live album in the studio. So it's just like played live. And there's like some like dubbing here and there, like cleaning up, yeah, you know, like a yeah. vocal take or something, um, like a like a flubbed guitar part or whatever. But by, like it's a pretty much a live record, so that track "Evidence of Life" is like about as live as life gets in the age of the mm. internet. The original idea before things kind of imploded was that we would release this as a video EP to have like the video of us performing be the release and it'll be like 25 minutes long, I think was the plan. And that would be the product to kind of take us to the next level. That was the plan because my thinking was that the rock audience wants like old school consumption. They want a vinyl record or a CD or they want to like a long player. They're not really a singles market. Um, they just like, like, to be honest with you, I still don't buy singles. Like I still like albums and I consider myself like a pretty prototypical rock fan. So that was my, that was what we did. Uh, but I was also conscious of the fact that, you know, the time was 2019 and you can't just stick to like the old ways of doing things, particularly not now, right. When things change so quickly. Yeah. So that was, that, that was it. So it's like, it's, it's like a live record. It was meant to be, like the opening salvo of an album campaign. Cause like long-term what I wanted to do was like take the two singles, Contact Sport and Ride Behind the Eyes and those five tracks and then some other stuff and have that be like a 10 track album of just like, mm. like yeah. pure, like pure, like high quality, like road tested material. Cause all the songs were like very much road tested. There were songs that we'd been, that we'd, we'd been touring and like trying out in front of people, different configurations, this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, obviously it didn't pan out that way, Yeah. but, uh, you know, I figured during the last lockdown, I yeah. was listening to it and I was talking to, uh, Johnny and Matt on yeah. like having a couple of zoom beers one day and I was like, these songs are mad. I yeah. should just put them out. Yeah. Can I say something, Leah? I've got two things to say. One, well done. You survived my hometown when I was checking you out. You went and played in Dubbo at the old bank and I was like... What a fucking legend. He's gone all the way to Dubbo to my, you know, anyway. Um, and, you know, and you, and you survived it. So well done. And uh, next thing I wanted to say is me the other day, me and Jack were talking about, you know, like w- yeah, what you could do in the digital age to be a band. And I was, and we we're talking about you, Jack was saying about concept albums the other day. And I was thought, you know, I think you could probably make a concept album if you were able to actually then put in a visual concept and, you know, spend a lot of money on lighting or whatever, or figure, or just have an idea, you know, 
Um, but the fact that you were thinking back then, man, I fucking wish you did it because then you, we would have gone into lockdown and we would have been stuck. You know, it would have been like the perfect time almost in history to do it. I know. And you would have been the yeah, because that, that, How much free time to sit and watch yeah. that thing, you know? As if you're as if you're putting Netflix on and you're watching The Office, you'd go there and you'd watch that all yeah. unfold. Really good idea. So are you are you sat on? So that if you, when did you write that song? All these songs I wrote twenty eighteen nineteen. So I, you're um, sitting on two three years, you know, of of new songs right now. Uh, have you have you still been writing? Was you writing through the lockdown? Yeah, 100%. So I, as you may have guessed at this point, I write songs pretty much compulsively. Yeah. Um, not not as frequently as I used to. Uh, but I, I write heaps of songs, like all the time. Mm. And again, most of them suck. But every so often I do write a good one and, you know, put it on a, put it on a phone recording. And yeah, I think most, to be honest with you, I think like any any creative pursuit ought to be innately rewarding, regardless of what other people think of it. It's nice when other people like stuff and it obviously like makes you feel good because otherwise none of us would put anything out ever. Yeah. But I started writing songs with no band. I stopped writing songs for a band. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I, I got away from the brief in my head of being like, oh, I'll write this type of song or that type of song and would just listen to music and have a cool idea or be reading and have a cool idea or you know even hear a song that i thought was cool and try and steal it <laughs> just like your do. favorite bands did yeah like a better uh back yeah. from liverpool <laughs> <laughs> openly openly admitting it as well yeah no, too. I, openly admit that. and like I, I used to I used to like get it like get people like coming at me and being like, hey, this song you wrote sounds like this other song. And I was like, yeah, I know. Why of course it sounds like that. I wanted it to sound like that. That's not a mm. I'm not pretending that I wrote uh, there was a particular there's a song I used to do called Spaceman, um, which had an ending section, which had an ending section where it was based on the end of the angels, no secrets, right? And I was like, I wanted to write an angel song. So I sat down and like listened to a bunch of angel songs and like it came with a guitar harmony that I thought was cool and put it at the end of this song. And some guy was like, this sounds like those secrets by the angels. And I was like, I know. You think I haven't noticed that? It's good, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like or like with this one, right? As I I've said it before, that like I wanted to do, because people always say there's no like fucking songs about the boys being back in town, right? Mm. And when we were touring the UK, my buddy Clive was like one of my best mates from school, had been living in England for a few years. I hadn't seen him in a while, so he came to a couple of dates that we did. He's like Hull and Bolton with us. He's like carried amps and flogged t-shirts, and and it was like nice to see him. But I was so excited. I was so thrilled just like to watch his silhouette emerge from Hull's train station. And I was like, I have to write a song about this. I have to write a song about this feeling of being like the boys are well and truly back in town. Like we're going to, we're going to recapture a moment of our lives. And it's so rare that you get 
the opportunity to be grateful while you're doing something. Yeah. Typically, we we appreciate things after they have happened. Yeah, so true, man. That's so true. Uh, so I was like, I'm gonna write a song about that, and so I did. I I like listened to a lot of Thin Lizzy. Um, I got really into the Strokes that year. Like we came back from England, and all the reviews we'd got were like, "This band sounds a bit like the Strokes." And I was really? like, oh, I, I could hear that. I, I could hear that actually. I could hear that. Yeah, um, and I was like, "Oh, they must be good then, right?" Yeah. Because um, I'd never really got into them. They kind of <laughs> well, well, if they sound like me, then they must be brilliant. <laughs> I reckon Julian Casablancas is going. Oh, that Liam Whelan's a bloody good songwriter, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fucking sending his kids to Swiss boarding school or some shit. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, that'd be another band where it's a great example of like minimal adversity in life, but they managed to write great songs. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so I got really into that band. And then I found out that he was a big Thin Lizzy guy. And I was like, all right, what I'm going to try and do is work out what you've taken from Phil and see if I can find it in your music. Because I'm sure you guys, like you guys both like play music and stuff. So like when you're playing guitar or something and you listen to a particular guitar player, sometimes you will hear that they've borrowed a lick from someone else. So I was trying to do that in a songwriting sense. And um, so I did went very deep into that rabbit hole. Uh, there's a particular record of theirs, Angles, that yeah, I got really yeah, into. Yeah. Um, and particularly the song Under Cover of Darkness. Yep. Which is which is like if someone had told Aha to like cover a Thin Lizzy song. That's what that song sounds like to me. That whole record is like very Thin Lizzy-ish to me. Um, speaking with like the level of sophistication that the guitar parts have and how how the layers fit together, like the way there's like two guitars and bass moving around quite a lot and the very, very busy drum parts with like a lot of right hand work. So I got very like obsessed with that and trying to be like, okay, what have you taken? Like what works for you? Because we're all we're all eating at the same sandwich table. It's just like about yeah. picking the right ingredients yeah. for your sandwich, right? And then from there, uh, and if you fucking find me on Spotify, I still have a playlist that called it's called like Sounds Like Thin Lizzy. I just went through like a bunch of bands and I'll like find a song that like tuned my ear to be like, oh, this is a bit boys are back in towny. I got super into it. And I, from that, picked up a, a couple of like uh, habits and little little nods, song song wise, like structurally, melodically, that really gave me that feeling of the boys are back in town tonight. Like there's gonna it's gonna be the best kind yeah, of trouble. These were there. Yeah, and um, together. And yeah, it was, it was great. It was like it was. <laughs> yeah. And what I really wanted in was whole. to have like an explosive way into the song, right? Yeah. I, if you listen to my songs, I always write an intro because Van Halen always wrote an intro and I'm like, yeah. every Van Halen song, you know what song it is within like 10 seconds. Even yeah. if it's not like a different section, like riff wise, there's an intro arrangement, right? So I, I always try to write an intro. So for this song, I like I want a really explosive intro. I wanted like to come in bang straight away, like like because I, I didn't want people to be like easing in and be like, oh, I know this song. I wanted them to know exactly what it was. So like little things like that that you pick up from sort of this like level of obsessive note taking and theft that I did. 
you end up writing better songs for it because you're actively learning. And I think the song speaks for itself. Like, I think it's it's probably one of the best songs that I wrote. Do you ever, when, you, when you're writing, do you ever, if you have a piece of music, and do you ever think, oh, this sounds a bit like such an artist, right? And do you ever say, oh, like, like you said before, I was trying to write a song like Angels, you, you took, like the Angels, mm-hmm. you were saying that, right? Like, like the ending. Do you ever write a song with that band in mind of it's you writing one of their songs for them? Sometimes, yeah. Um, I do because I do that. I do that a lot, man. I, I like I actually, and then like, like my brother or someone will be like, "Oh, it sounds like this," and I'll be like, "I know," because <laughs> it is it. It should have been on that album that they did, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, and, it, and that's my that's my wink and a nod to those bands, and it it's it's quite a nice thing when someone says, "Oh, it sounds like that." I always took it as a compliment. I don't think people always meant yeah. it as a compliment, but I always took it as a compliment because. For me, I look at it and I'm like, people walk up to Noel Gallagher and they'd be like, you fucking stole from T-Rex or you stole from T- Stevie Wonder. He'd be like, yep. Sure yeah. did. Look, did can, good, didn't I? Can I, can I, like, can I just want to chime in and say like, when people, when people are after, after Noel and, and the Beatles, any band, every band steals from somewhere. Like, you know what I mean? It's all kind of borrowed and little bits are pinched and sampled or whatever. But I, I always just feel like, but is the end result good? You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, when you did take your, you know, borrow your borrowed ingredients from here and there, is the end result better or, or, or just as good? You know, I think that's what you, you know, if you're borrowing heaps of shit, that's what your, your goal should be at the end of the, you know? Well, look at, look at any bands, any bands, like uh, any band advertising for members, right? Or, you know, and musicians around Sydney or wherever, those groups, it's always, Looking to start a band, I'm a bass player, I'm, you know. I'm looking for people who like and they'll list a few bands because the sound of that band, they're, they're going into it because they want to play music like that. So, yeah. you know, it's it, it, it's something that happens from the beginning of, like, the genesis of starting a band anyway is, oh, what do you like to listen to? And you all mm-hmm. get to, oh, I like these and I like these and... Everyone, you know, it's like a melting pot and everyone's coming to the party and it's like, oh, I like these, I like these. And then it, it ends up being like a mix anyway of, of all that music. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think at any time, I think it, it, it's something so obvious and you go like, you know, that, you know like that's, that's plagiarism, right? But yeah. the, the wink and a nod thing is like, that. that's, that's our trick in music to to respecting what's gone before, you know? Yeah, it is. And also, I think that when you try to be original, right, you try self-consciously to be creative, you suck. Because, <laughs> like, everything that's good, not everything that's good, but, like, pretty much everything that's good, particularly in rock, which has been around for, what, 70 years now? Like, a lot of the great stuff was already written. So... I, I go back to this this job I used to have when I was like twenty, and I'm a big reader. I, I so I like I like talking to people who also read. And there's this guy I worked with who claimed to be a writer, and foolishly, I assumed that because he claimed to be a writer that he also read. 
And I was like, hey man, like, what do you, who do you read right now? Like, what are you into? And it was like, oh, I don't read books. I don't want anyone else to influence my creativity. And in the back of my head, I went, oh, that means you suck. And I've seen that proven every single time I've talked to a band. Like, fuck, you guys are in bands, right? You've had this conversation, right? You go play with a band and because your band is like good, they're opening for you. So you're like, hey, man, hey, nice, nice to meet you. How you going? You go, oh, yeah, have a, have a little chat. And you go, so what kind of music are you guys into? What kind of music do you play? And I go, ah, oh, I couldn't describe it. Every single time someone says like, oh, I couldn't really put a genre on it. Or they're like, oh, you know, our guitar player likes metal and our drummer likes funk. And you're like, oh, you suck. You're not good. Like every time, 100%. Yeah. I, I've been right about it every time. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like the number of gigs I did where I've had that fucking chat. Like I'm a guitar player, like talking to a guitar player and you're like, oh, cool. Like there's no look. Like one of you is in a Megadeth t-shirt. One of you is wearing a suit and tie. One of you is in spandex. Like one of you is showing up in like a fucking blue singlet and like paint encrusted Timberlands. You're yeah. going to be bad. Yeah. And they always mm. are. And somehow it always ends up being like an indie funk situation. Yeah. Always no cos- decide. <laughs> cosmic psychedelic sounds of the bathtub, you know, like it's. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great name for a record. <laughs> yeah. Cosmic psychedelic. Sounds, sounds like fucking, uh, what's that band? King Gizzard would release that record. Um, yeah, it's 100% of the time because, like, you're trying too hard to be original. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, true, like, real originals, like, my buddy Jake Blatchley, who goes by Season, he's a genuine original. There's like someone once told him, there's like, oh, mate, you're the next Axel Rose. And he goes, No, I'm the first Jake Blatchley. He's an original. And, but he became an original by like unashamedly loving things. Yeah. You have not to. Not trying to be original. He just yeah. did what he wanted to do and like found his own voice that way. Which is why I think that like when I write songs, I think that I tend to wear my heart on my sleeve a fair bit. Yeah. But, like even when I like sat down and I was like, I want to write like a Thin Lizzy song or I want to like, write, uh, there's a song that'll come out this year where I wanted to do something like Van Morrison. There's another one where I wanted to do something that was like, like the um, like the song Bad Reputation off the album Bad Reputation by Thin Lizzy. It still sounds like us. Like it still sounded like our band. It still sounded like I was writing the songs because if you're honest with yourself about what you're, where you're coming from or what you're borrowing from, you're never going to sound like someone else anyway. Yeah. Your music will always sound like you if you're singing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, Brandon Flowers goes and does solo records away from the Killers and they sound like Killers records because yeah. the singer is, is, the, is the point that you listen to. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, anything you do, any road you, if you want to go and be an indie punk band, it will still sound like you. Those yeah. things will still come out. That'd yeah. be really funny to like, I would, I would be interested in hearing that though, just as if for a gag. Yeah, I can do it now. Hold on. Yeah, so it's, it's, just, it's just this, right? <laughs> Do you play in Newtown? I was getting into that. I try not to. I try not to play in Newtown. Um, where do I play? I play in fucking heaps of places, not Newtown. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I just, it's too much self-consciousness, I reckon. People need to calm the fuck down. 
you know like what's what's the point of being in a band if you take yourself like fully seriously it's a ridiculous yeah. thing to do it's yeah. it's like it's also i love it when people pretend to be humble and you ever do this you ever go to a gig and there's some guy who's like oh, I've got special. like man come on you believe in yourself enough to get up there yeah 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 you've got exactly to have a right. big you know? set of balls on you to get yeah. up anyway to be honest that so, really annoyed me you know, for for a while like where where, where every no, like there was a lot of bands, I think in the, just before like COVID, like 2016 to maybe 2008, like 18, where I don't know, I just saw a lot of that shit. You know what I mean? And there wasn't too many yeah. people like standing on their, their own backbone. Yeah, dude, I, I don't know. I think. Promoters don't like it though. If, if you're, if yeah. you're, if you're the other way, I, I've been called some, really nice compliments but you know a lot of people wouldn't take them very well because I, I was when I asked you if, if you were competitive before my band at home we used to have this thing like come and to conquer like we're, we're going to come and we will be the best fucking band on that bill yeah try and stop us you know and then you go through that what you were saying earlier Liam about nobody wants you to open because yeah. they're like why why would we have these come in and they're wanting to come and put on this big performance and beat us and be better than us. Why can't we all just get along? And I, I don't really think music should always be like that, man. I think it's, I, I, I think you should, you should, uh, you, you should admire bands, right? Other bands. And you should, me doing this podcast is really good because I get to speak to someone like yourself and I get to speak to Hamish all the time. And it's, I get to see, the thing of not just going and being the rock star, you know what I mean? Going and playing that part. And like, really, why we're all here, you know, we all fucking love music. That's why we're all here. Yeah, and I think, totally. but I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with if you're in a band being like, no, I, I, I why, why would you go into anything and not want to be the best at it? You know? Yeah. So when I said I wasn't competitive, I, I wasn't. But you are. Really, you are with you yourself. Are, yeah, you yeah. are with yeah. yourself. But but you here's must the be, thing. You right? must be playing with bands and bigger. I'm the best songwriter here anyway, so I'll just write one better than I did before. So you are. Yeah, it's there. That means you're in the wrong room. You're on the wrong bill. So years ago, right? Um, yeah. Once we solidified the lineup with Marcus and Johnny, and I was like, cool. Right now, of the bands that I've seen, I write the best songs that I know of. Um. Marcus is the best drummer there is. And I still think that, by the way. He's not only the best drummer I play with, he's probably one of the best drummers I've seen. Uh, Matt is a great bass player, and Johnny is my favorite guitar player, right? So I was like, great, cool. So the band individually, shit hot, great stuff. Yeah. And then I was like, all right, I need to fucking step up my game vocally, songs wise. So I did. And then we played shows with bands in Sydney where like we would routinely just like kick their asses like we'd murder them like you go out and like just go out and kill like their audience would be there for you and then they'd fuck off when they were playing and they crack the mm. shits with your ass you're like well you should have played better yeah yeah fuck you. um this, this this mentality may also reveal to you why I'm not particularly popular in some circles okay, well, but, well do you want to be popular or, or good you know I'd much rather be good mate yeah, <laughs> I like choice. it. Don't worry about it. I like it. Uh, but we, so like, I think we're, you're we're okay. doing Sydney, right? And we were like, 
we stagnated about rooms worth about 100 people in Sydney, right? We're doing the Ziggy Pop yeah. when the Lockhart's had that going, um, which may have been before your guys' time, but that was a very cool thing. It was a very big deal to me. So we're doing that a lot with them. And I was like, cool, this takes us nowhere. We're playing the same fucking like 50 to 100 people every time we play. So we need to graduate from the five, time, five nights a week in Sydney thing and do something else. So what I did was I started calling venues. I looked at the bands that we'd opened for, right? Bands that we'd opened for when they were coming through on tour through like through Sydney. And I looked at the tour dates they had done and I called the venues. I like just cold called them. I was like, hey, my name's Liam. I play in a cool band. Um, we want to come and play in like Port Macquarie. Yeah. Or Dubbo. Yeah. yeah. Um, like how do we how do how do we come and play at your venue? I like playing gigs, and I think through like sheer force of will and enthusiasm, we wound up booking like a tour off nothing. Like uh, this would have been like two thousand fifteen, right? And fortuitously, the first night of this, we played with a band called Black Aces, who are to this day, in my opinion, the best band in the country. And we played a show with them at the Standard Bowl. Uh, we were both opening for another touring band called the Cherry Dolls. And we got murdered for the first time ever. Like we played what I thought was a good show and did our best, but Black Aces murdered us, right? And according to, and like the Cherry Dolls were great that night as well. So a reviewer like went on, they were at the show and like a photographer's on shoot because I always tried to make like every show a thing. And the reviewer was like, nah, they called us a sandwich act. And I took that very personally. I was like, right, yeah, man. fuck you. I'm going to prove you wrong. We've just played with the best band that I've ever seen. So we're going to be that good next week. So we went in the following week with a fucking big fire under our egos. We used to rehearse twice a week. We went in, we rehearsed Sunday, we rehearsed Wednesday, and we just smashed out our set. And we were like, what do we tweak? Where do we fix it? Like, And I think it took, we did a whole run of shows with Black Aces that year. And I think it took like two or three shows. We played with them in Bendigo and we ate shit and died uh, for their crowd. Like we played to a seated audience. And as yeah. soon as they got on stage, like a big fucking airborne entrance and the crowd was on their feet and they did like five encores and shit. And I just stood there watching being like, all right, this is how good you've got to be. This is how good we're going to be. We did Melbourne and we were finally as good as them in Melbourne. And I remember us playing the show in Melbourne and like talking to the guys after and then being like, fuck me, mate, you lit a fire under our asses. So our thing with them for a long time is that we'd go on runs together. We'd play in a bunch of different places. Like they'd headline Victoria, we'd headline New South Wales. Yeah. And we we like we were, com we were competitive with each other, not in a like, I want to out, not in like a way to try and win. But just that, like, they would be Better. really great. Yeah. So we would be like, we have to be really great. Yeah, yeah. And they'll be like, oh, you guys were great. So we've got to be great. And so we both became, like, fucking mad live bands from... That's what empowers the scene, yeah. though, man. It, if, if every band felt like that, and what you were saying there with, you know, you'd switch it, they'd headline, and you'd headline, and going like that, you're all getting better at the same time. Yeah. So the Absolutely. crowd is getting better all the time. Because they know to expect a great shot, you know. That's right, and that—that that was. And then it becomes it becomes it becomes an unmissable gig, not just a Thursday in somewhere in Newtown or whatever. It becomes unmissable. 
and then everyone gains from that just because they're like the fire under your ass and you're doing the same to them. Yeah, what's the analogy here, boys? Isn't it? Isn't the isn't the old saying like iron sharpens iron? You know, like that's I, right. Yeah, and I think that's exactly you know um, like the way to do it. Like, isn't that every band that you've ever read about? Like, you know, I, I think to some degree you could go back and see the Beatles doing doing that to the Stones and Stones doing it to the Beatles, and you could see that uh, with the Beach Boys, the, the Beach, Beach Boys. Boys and, but you, you know, could probably McCartney. see that with Elvis and Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis if you really went back. Mm. I think it ha- it's how Famous- you get good art. Famously, um, when Jimi Hendrix guested with Cream, yeah, Clapton turned to his manager and said, "You didn't tell me it was that good." um yeah i I totally agree and i think that that like with the headlining thing well if i may touch on it that was always a matter of numbers that was always pragmatic it was like whoever is going to bring people in goes on last because it's Mm. better for us all if we play to more people and one of the things that i think shoots a lot of bands in the foot and i've been guilty of this as well like i'm not i'm not perfect uh is the ego right because we all grew up reading like the dirt or like fucking slashes book or whatever and in those books what happens is the band plays and they're like full of piss of vinegar and then someone comes in and sprinkles the fame magic on them and they get to be rock stars and like that doesn't really happen to most people and but they get to preserve their ego right the best thing you can do for yourself in my opinion is keep that shit in check like have the right type of ego in the right yeah. moment where you're like sitting around like oh, this is a great fucking song i'm gonna play it for people it's a great band know when to like call people out on their shit but also in the moment be like i don't need a headline i don't need to be the lead singer today i don't need to you know push my song through when there are other songs that might be better you know i think that murdering viciously murdering the part of yourself that is offended when someone else is good or someone else does well is the best thing you can do uh not only for your career but for your emotional well-being because mm. i i always get fucking psyched right whenever my friends do well i get psyched because i'm like good for you man i know how hard you worked i know this means a lot to you and it would mean a lot to me if it was me so i get fully psyched um and without naming any names we've all been around sydney for a while there are heaps of people in sydney who if something goes well for somebody will go, oh, it's only because yeah. it's only because they know someone. It's only because yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hate that right? shit, man. And that's exactly uh, do you think that's count. a part of do you think that's a part of growing up though, Liam? Is that uh, I, as you mature, you start to you know where, where it goes from we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. When collectively, you know, your your peers essentially are going and doing well, that means you can do that as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Progress is good for everyone. So I think when you can actually enjoy someone else's success and you think, I'll do that next year. Yeah. We can do that next year because they've done it and they've, they've showed you, they've done the proven grounds and they, they've laid those foundations. And you know, and you can walk down that road because it's there. Whereas if, if you're constantly just negative and, you know, putting other, putting other people's success down to walk or they've got a rich dad who puts loads of money into the band or you know whatever it may be i feel like that kills bands quicker than anything else yeah, we, yeah. I, I, I say i say this to hamish it's like you've got to check your ego at the door 
Yeah. And you just go in and, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a big team game being in a band anyway. And being in a scene really is a team game. Except you're yeah. Steven Gerrard and I'm Lucas Lever. <laughs> Ah, that's a good one. So, Liam Whelan. Why music? Because when I got into girls, I realised that the guys who were good at sport got them, and I couldn't play sport and I couldn't dance, so... <laughs> <laughs> that's got to uh, be the most honest answer I think we've had. Um, nah, to, so, someone should have told me that like learning Van Halen parts was exactly the wrong way to go about doing that. Um, no, to be, to be, to be very real and very vulnerable. I, I think the question is more consistently been why not? Right. Because like, unless you're in like fucking Bon Jovi or whatever, being a musician is pretty hard. Like it's pretty grueling work-wise. Like it's more hours than people realize there is. Like people see you on stage for 45 minutes, but you might've rehearsed three hours that week, six hours that week with the band to mm. get there, done untold hours of promotional material, like untold hours writing the songs, untold hours practicing to get there. And it you know, it really does eliminate the week. There's a lyric in uh, in the third verse of Evidence of Life uh, where it's spending someone else's home this afternoon's a monochrome. But we technicolor rise the streets. We never could be quite discreet. We rattled chaff amongst the wheat and the truth in stereo. And what that line is about is finding joy and finding a reason to continue living in small things like being 16 and broke but having a great time right that's the specific yeah. context of it but it also is about like band life and like being a musician because in a very real way for whatever reason you found some truth in your stereo like literally you listen to a record or like mm. i was saying before i stopped what i was doing at a party like just to listen to don't look back in anger because i was like this is the best song i've ever heard right uh you found some piece of yourself in music found some truth some reason to keep to keep pushing on through it and the the more honest question really is why not because there are plenty of reasons not to right there are plenty of reasons like well it doesn't pay well like the hours are shitty i don't like being away from home um but you continue doing it because there's a piece of you that refuses to quit and i'm a very bad quitter I'm really glad I never started smoking because I'm really bad at quitting stuff. Um, <laughs> it took me a long time to quit that smoking stuff as well, man. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think that there are, there are a few there are a few moments like major turning points, just personally. Um, one of them was, as I said, hearing Don't Look Back in Anger. Another one was when I was, oh man, 2006, 12. So when I was 12, um, I went to the library after school with a bloke that I went to high school with and went to the CD section. Just picked up a CD because it had a cool cover, right? It was Kiss's Psycho Circus, which has the 3D lenticular cover. And I was like, this looks cool. I just picked it up. I'd never heard of the, like, I obviously was familiar with the band, but I didn't know what their music sounded like. Um, and I put it on 
my little like shitty little CD player that I had. And the first like 50 seconds of that song is circus noise. It's really, it's a really weird record. Like the first like 50 seconds of it is like, <laughs> and then, um, and then the band comes in with one of my favorite things to do, which is like the, right, the power chord intro. I talked shit about power chords on Instagram recently, but I secretly love them. And um, it, the, it like, boom, 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 but it slowly builds, right? And then Paul Stanley goes, yeah! And I was like, this is my favorite thing. This, like, <laughs> this thing. Whatever like, that is, whatever yeah. that is, that, that's, yeah. That's my favorite thing. And that was like, genuinely, I just sat there listening to the record. I, you were 12 years old. Yeah. Would have, I, I'd been playing guitar for a minute by then. I've um, been playing guitar for a little while because my old man played guitar and he got me guitar for Christmas that year. It would have been term one or term two of year eight for me. And I was like, this is my favorite thing. This that, is sounds like, like, that sounds like testosterone kicking in, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was it. It was, it was going to be that or something far far more damaging. <laughs> you know, at least there's, there's like no cranium trauma if you fucking play guitar instead of football. Um but yeah, that, that's like a huge turning point for me. And I think that I often go back to that moment and then like the joy of being a kid and being into bands and getting into bands. Like, you know, when you're like, say 12 and you discover a band and you're obsessed. Yeah, man. Your eyes, your eyes open, your ears open and you're just, you're just in that moment, aren't you? It's yeah. just, yeah. you get and taken away by it. I had, there was, a, there was a turning point that year because I've been really badly bullied the year before at the school I was at before that. And um, I was at this new school and I was a very angry person and I was very defensive because I've been bullied horrifically. And someone started to make fun of me and I was like, all right, here we go. And I kind of started getting ready to like throw a fucking table at the guy or some shit, right? And... <laughs> One of the guys that I had met like a week beforehand because I was a really new kid was like, oh no, Liam's cool. He plays guitar. Uh, and so it was like this very, like th these two things happened very close to each other. And like my old man obviously plays guitar. So he was very supportive of it. And all of a sudden I had this like socially sanctioned thing that I was interested in. And that I, because I was interested in it and I did it all the time, I got good at it. And as soon as you're good at something as a kid and people are like, hey, you're pretty good at this, it latches on. And so I just was obsessed with fucking music and with rock in particular for so long. And the, the real answer to your question was like, why music or perhaps why still music, right? Was when we started getting a bit of a following overseas, uh, not when we were playing here, we mostly played to like our friends and like other people in bands. But um, I would like get messages. I still do sometimes from kids who are like 13 years old, like the age that I was and I got into music. And they'll be like, you're like, you, you're my favorite band. This is the sickest thing. And they'll have like, they'll buy like a t-shirt. And for me, that's why I still do it. Because I remember being that age. I remember how much it meant to me. Like, to be honest with you, I still am like this. Like I, like, I still get into bands and get obsessed with them. And then I'm, like, very uncool if I get to meet them, which occasionally happens now. <laughs> because, like, mm. like, you're in bands and you, like, get to meet people and, like, you do stuff. Like, you might get to open for someone or whatever. Um, 
and that's like the, like that feeling and remembering that feeling and now being in a very privileged position where no matter what I do next, there are songs that I've written that made someone else feel like that is yeah. why. Because that's the best thing ever, right? It's like yeah. for the next for the next generation of yeah. Liam Whelan's. Yeah, dude, there's gonna be some some like curly headed schmuck yeah. who can't grow a mustache yet. You know, just trying their best. Are you, are you talking about me by any chance? <laughs> yes. Hey, hey, Liam. I've got a. I've like this. I'll, this is a little bit of a long story, but a long story short, I we spoke to Kingswood like a like a couple episodes ago on this podcast. Awesome. And like as a kid, they were like my. You know, when you have you set your local hero. You know what I mean? Like the band that you mm. see that is local and feels like you can fucking do this because they can do it, and they're not like overseas. You know what I mean? Like they're the ones mm. that are close to home. And I fell in love with with Kingswood and. Um, I, when I went saw like ACDC, they opened it like fucking, you know, A and Z. And, and it like, when you said that, it just, it just brought that, you know, full circle moment back around, you know, like that, you know, what those kids are doing is like what I was to Kingswood. You know what I mean? And it's just fucking mm. awesome, man. Like if you've got that following, keep going, going brother. Yeah. It's the coolest thing in the world. It's yeah. the, uh, yeah, it's like four kids in Vietnam or something, but they're cool kids, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But that's the start of it, isn't it, man? Like just keep yeah, going. Like I love it's your the songwriting. Pay it forward man. mentality as well, man. You know, like that happened to you and you've done that for someone else. And hopefully yeah. they'll do that for someone else. And then there'll be other idiots with wet curly hair. We never dry our hair on this podcast. Where you know, hair? down the line, you filthy, you filthy, filthy bitch. Amish, but there'll be people down the line and this will forever be the conversation going on and it's mm. people's lives and people's those those things that happen to them when they when they hear that record for the first time that takes them off somewhere and you know it was your salvation from being a kid who'd been bullied to now being a kid it was okay he's got his guitar now he's got a guitar it, it, it's it's those things in life that makes this for me i, I ask why music because you know, I love that answer you gave, you gave me the first time around. I, I love that. I, I want you to clip that up. But that answer you gave there, and you know, man, that's that's the beautiful thing about music. It, it's so hard to describe why we're in this, why we love it so much. But you did quite a good job. That was yeah. Do my best, man. mate. Yeah. I've read a lot of so books. where can where where can we find you, man? Where can we find you on socials? Uh. At the band Flickertail is probably the most active thing right now because mm-hmm. Facebook is like angry old people primarily. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at the band Flickertail is Instagram. Uh, for me personally, if you want to come watch me sing football songs, at Liam Whelan Music would be the other one. I'm not quite on TikTok yet. I'm not, I don't look good enough in a bikini yet to be on TikTok, but rest assured. Yeah. You're getting there. Rest assured we're on the way. Well, Summer body coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, Liam, Even it's February. I look forward to seeing your TikTok, man. You know, OnlyFans too. If you got that coming down the line, um, fuck, man, it's been a, it's been an honor, man. Like, thank you so much for coming on. I've actually thoroughly enjoyed this. I'm gonna get crucified after this, you know. I'm gonna from my misses, but uh, it is, it has been an honor, man. 
Thanks, man. It's it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, thank you for coming on, man. Like on honestly, like Ham Hamish spoke about you in very, very high regard before this. And and I listened and I, I really enjoyed it. And after meeting you, well, over even over Zoom, over the internet, the 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 thing that people for me personally, I'd want to go and watch Liam Whelan, the guy who's who's quite good at writing a song, you know. <laughs> <laughs>